0: Now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were here on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says... For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for this new covenant in the blood of your son, Jesus, that we did not earn and we did not toil for, that you gave to us that we did not deserve. And you are so worthy of our praise this morning. You are greater and you are better. And we love you. Thank you for giving us this time of worship. Lord, we continue that worship as Chris comes up to share this word and break it down for us. May our hearts be open to hear from you what you want to say to us so that as we walk out of this door, we are new. We are new creations in your son, Jesus. We love you. And I pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
1: I'll never stop singing your praise. What a great line of the song. I hope that throughout this whole next week we can just praise the Lord for everything they give us, even cold weather even the warm weather, and we can praise him in and, and all those instances. We're, we're in chapter 8 of the book of Hebrews, and we're kind of in an interesting chapter because um, we're kind of in the middle of this kind of transition of the author, moving from one point to the next point. He's sort of going to overlap them a little bit inside of this chapter. So the best way that I can describe this is how many of you all have listened to a DJ? Like you've been somewhere where a DJ's played, like a, like at a prom, or you know, not the clubs. Hopefully, too many of y'all out there partying on Saturday nights and not coming to 8:30 service. But um, when you listen to a DJ, right, when they when they take one song and they mix the next song, right, without the little. Uh, without that part, right? And they just kind of overlap them. You have sort of the fading of one song and the bringing in of another song. That's sort of what we're doing in this chapter, right? If I had to tell you who my favorite DJ was, it'd be uh, Dustin Pennington, right? Yeah, Dustin. Y'all give Dustin some love, please, if y'all don't mind. So if you didn't know Dustin, Dustin is our amazing sound guy. He takes care of all the sound and all the things. In fact, this morning we had him on a 20-foot ladder, Cleaning out the projector because it stopped working. Things have just stopped working. Can y'all pray for our equipment right here? Our copier didn't work this week. We're getting ready to give y'all the next book in the Hebrew series. Y'all can study these things at home as well. You'll have to wait till next week uh, to get that as well. But um, thank you, Dustin, for all you do, um, mixing things together to make it sound amazing for us. But the author is going to mix these two thoughts, right? Now, what we're doing is we're leaving this thought. We're leaving this thought about Jesus being our great high priest. And we're sort of taking a deep breath. Right, notice what it says here in verse 1. Right, you can see the author sort of taking this deep breath. Because we just got done with Melchizedek and all these crazy verses and all these things happening from all over the world. And he says this, now the point in what we are saying is this. So he's going he's to clarify, right? He's going to stop, take a deep breath, and he's going to kind of just review and clarify some things about what direction are we heading in. All right? So I wanted to do that with you as well. If you remember, we started the book of Hebrews in January. We've been walking through it methodically the entire time, getting ourselves talking about it as a mathematical proof. Right? If you remember, we have this greater, I know it's still it's morning and it's math again, sorry, but this is a greater than sign. Anybody have a hard time with that back in the day, like the alligator or the Pac-Man eats the big cookie? No? Okay. So, um, anyway, this is a greater than symbol, all right? So I want you to imagine when you see this greater than symbol, if you were to like hit the button, bing, and up came it, proof number one was that Jesus is greater. What is he greater than? He's greater than the angels. That's where we started. He's a greater messenger than the angels. He's greater than Moses, he's a greater prophet than Moses. And Moses was the greatest prophet that they could even imagine at that point. Yet Jesus was greater. He was greater than Joshua, the one that led them into the promised land. Jesus is a greater leader than Joshua, that all three of these things, the angels and Moses and Joshua were all great, but they were just pointing to one who is going to be greater than them. Right? So we have this picture in our mind, Jesus is greater. And what we're building out in the second button is going to be this idea that Jesus is the great high priest. He's greater, he's better than any of the high priests that have come before. He's greater than the Levites who were made a priest because Aaron was there and God appointed for him to be a priest. They were priests by birth, but they weren't nearly as good as Melchizedek. And Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. He's a greater high priest even than Melchizedek, which is what we broke down last week because Melchizedek would die, but Jesus would reign forever because he lived forever. He's this great high priest for us. But when we hear this term, the great high priest, it's sort of a distant idea for us, isn't it? Because we haven't really grown up in the priesthood. We haven't grown up with this being a normal part of our life. But remember, who is the audience of this book? It's written to a group of, of Hebrew people that are on the border. They're, should I just dive all in for Christ and give my life completely to him and leave behind these traditions of my past? Or should I turn and go back into Judaism? Should I go back into the sacrificial system? Should I go back into this old life that I've been living before? And so they're on the, on the border of what they're going to do. And so what the authors doing is like, well, you could run back to that, but Jesus is a greater high priest than that. That's what we're going to pick up here in verse 1. Now, the point and what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Okay, so let's talk about the priesthood a little bit. Why? Why? Why is Jesus considered this great high priest? Well, here's the first reason. Jesus is the great high priest because he has access directly to God. Remember, a priest, their design was to be man's advocate to God. Someone speaking on man's behalf. Jesus is speaking to God on our behalf. He's a mediator of this new covenant for us. That's good news. Because if we were to stand before God, we would fall short. But Jesus stands before God for us. His righteousness given to us so that we can actually stand before a holy God and not fall short. So Jesus is this one that has access to God in a way that's totally different than us before. And why is he seated at the right hand? Well, this idea of seated means it is finished. The work is done. Like how many of y'all have been working out in the yard and when you come in, you don't get on the treadmill, right? You sit down and you're like, ah, that chair, you don't care if you're sweaty. You just have that chair. Anybody have that chair? Like you just have the chair. It doesn't matter if it's boom, plop in it. Almost flip over backwards because it's really springy, right? You get that from, you probably get water. I get like a Pepsi Zero, right? And I'm just hydrating with Pepsi Zero, right? But you just have this place. When you're done with the work, you sit down in your favorite spot, right? And here Jesus is. The work is done. It is finished. We get to sit to, He sits down at the right hand of the Father in glory and in majesty. Whew, that's such good news for us. So how do we react to that? What should our response, because if we're honest, we are now priests in him. Do You remember we read in uh, 1 Peter 2 last week, we read about uh, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. In fact, if you go back a few verses earlier in 1 Peter 2, it just even makes it more clear that we are now priests. We now have access directly to God through Christ. And so here's what verse 5 says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up As a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That we are now able to go, go to God because of what Christ has done for us. So Christ has the ultimate access. He's seated because it's finished. What should our response be? Our eyes should be on him. We should set our hope on him. In fact, this idea of Christ seated at the right hand is all over the Scripture, many, many different places. But my favorite reference to it is back in Colossians 3. In fact, Colossians 3 is one of my favorite chapters just in all of Scripture. And and look how it starts here. Um, Colossians 3, 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So because Christ has done the work for us, where does our hope come from? It comes from the Lord. Our eyes turn, not from the things that are all around us, but our eyes turn to him. That means that when the things around us go crazy, right, when the chaos happens, where do we put our hope? We put our hope on him. We trust in him. What would it mean for us as believers of Christ to set our mind on things above that means that if we trust God as our provider, then we don't have stress and anxiety, right? If we trust God as being our friend, we don't feel alone. We don't feel distant. right? So we set our mind on Christ. We set our mind on him, and it lifts us out of the muck. Anybody ever read the book uh, Pilgrim's Progress? If you haven't, put it in your list. Amazing book. But as he's getting ready, Christian is the name of the character in that book. And as he's going towards the gate to get into the path, the straight and the narrow path, he falls into the mire, into the clay, and he's bogged down. He has to be lifted up out of that. He has to do it by keeping his eyes up. If you've lifted weights before, what do you have to do when you lift weights? For proper form, you have to keep your eyes up. Sometimes it's easier to keep your head down, but you're going to hurt yourself. We've got to keep our eyes on things that are above. That's where our hope is found. Remember, what is our hope? Our joyful confidence in the Lord. So our eyes have got to be on things above, not on earthly things. Okay, let's go back into Hebrews again. It says this in verse 2. A minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. So not only is he seated at the right hand of God, not only is he, you know, this perfect high priest, but he's also a minister for us in the holy place. This holy place is talking about the tabernacle and the temple, right? And next week we're going to revisit the tabernacle and all the incredible, incredible symbolism that we find in there as well. So we're going we're gonna to jump into that next week. Remember, this is sort of the transition. It's pointing us ahead to things that he's going to talk about and summing up some things as well. But he says that he's a minister in the holy place. Here's what's awesome about that. If he's at the right hand, he's ministering in the holy place, he has the perfect access to give us forgiveness of sins. Remember, the priest, once a year, got to go into the holy place in order to offer sacrifices for the people. That's what the Hebrew people understand as a sacrifice, yet Christ has torn the curtain, given us true access to the mercy of God. That's the good news. We have this new location. What does that mean to us? that we have to remember that our lives are hidden in Christ. This world is not our home. Here's the second part of what it means for us to set our mind on him. If we go back into Colossians, verse 3 says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. And God, do you realize that? That when you give your life to Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, Galatians 2 says. That God is living through you to be the light of the world. Are we letting him? Are we letting him lead us and guide us in that process? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Woo, so good. Christ is our life. Christ is our heartbeat, our breath. He is the thing that sustains us. I just love that picture that we have here. He is a minister in the holy place and we're hidden in him. With God. We have a heavenly home someday. Lord, let it come back quick. Let us go to that heavenly home because, man, sometimes this world can be hard, can it? Sometimes the cares of this world can just woo, pull us in. That mud is thick. We sink in deep. But, man, if we stay faithful, will take us out of that. In fact, when I think about this time in Honduras, um, when I got a chance to go, one of the early days, and there were like four or five of us going on the trip, and I remember, we went hiking into this village called Oroco, and that's one of the main places that we have a church uh, now planted. In fact, Tara was the first white woman to ever be in this village, and they would yell gringo and run away from us, right? They were scared to death of our pale skin, because we were just like totally out of character and all that, so we, I got a chance to preach there in this little village on mud, they had smoothed out mud, and yeah, I was barefoot still, so I'm like, and I'm 270 pounds, so I'm sinking in the mud, but I'm just preaching. Little mice running around in the church building. It was awesome, right? It was just so cool. Like, it's raining outside, and people are standing out there just so they can get a, a glimpse of what's happening there, and, and just amazing, but we had to hike back three hours in the mud and the rain, right? Up and down mountains, about 2,000 feet elevation, right? <laughs> Woo! But by the time we got back, we had mud everywhere, right? In fact, I was very thankful for the deep mud because that means I wasn't going to slip and fall down, right? I fell down like 25 times trying to walk up that mountain. And there's a little girl, 8-year-old, holding her baby sister, just walking along, like, look at me, like, what's wrong with you? And I'm, like, <laughs> falling everywhere, right? But the mud, the mud of the mire, just sinks. It makes it hard to walk. And I was so exhausted when I got there, but we had to keep persevering. I couldn't just in the middle of the church like, I'm done. Just lay there. Hopefully someone has strap me to a mule and get me out of there the next day, right? No, you had to persevere. You got to keep going through it, even if it's slick, even if you fall down. Even if you almost fall off the mountain multiple times, you got to persevere. And the same thing is true of us. Christ, who is our life, appears. We're going to keep walking because we have a home somewhere else. This is not our home. We get caught up in the affairs here. It's going to fall short. We put our eyes upon him. That's what he's talking about here in verse 2. Verse 3 says, For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. In other words, remember, in this Hebrew's mind, right, the priest was the one who offered sacrifice to sin. Their hope for forgiveness came through this priest. So Jesus now, the perfect high priest, doesn't have to go offer a sacrifice. He's going to be that sacrifice for us, That once-for-all sacrifice. And we're going to dive into that a lot more in chapter 10 as we start going into it, as the author goes into it more and more. All right? And then he says this. Now, if, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. So what he's saying is with Christ's death and resurrection and ascension to heaven, he now is the great high priest in the heavenly tabernacle, because on earth no one would have let him. You know why? Because he wasn't born of the right family. So he wouldn't have been able to be a priest in the way that we do things here, but he became the ultimate high priest by his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. They serve a copy and a shadow. If you have a pen, circle that in your word or in your mind right now. Circle it, okay? Uh, they They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. So Moses, when he was on Mount Sinai, he got to have the, the scales pulled off and he got to have a glimpse of what the heavenly tabernacle was like. And he started writing it down, started writing it down in detail, writing all the different things that were going to be in that tabernacle that we'll talk about more next week. But I want you to understand this, that what we have here is a copy or a shadow of the true. Now think about a shadow. What is a shadow? The the shadow is something that gives you the appearance of the form, but without the detail, right? When when you come into the light and the shadow comes out, you could tell a lot of times what it is, but you don't get the full understanding of it. For example, let me show you a picture. This is kind of a famous picture that came out uh, just recently from National Geographic, right? Of these shadows of these camels, right? Isn't that kind of cool? like I guess maybe drone or plane or whatever. Um, Do you actually see the camels? Because what you're seeing is just the shadow. Like if you look at it closer, you can see that really thin, there's like a little darker beige that's there. That little thin line is the actual camel. And all we're seeing from this angle is the shadow that's being projected by the sun. If you need to, go home. So I think it's called Camel Crossing from National Geographic. You can zoom in and see that I'm actually telling you the truth, right? Because I know it's like little bitty up on that big screen. Um, but what we're seeing is the shadow. Does the shadow give us the – can we tell us camels? Yeah, we, we could tell us camels, right? Does it give us all the details of the camel? Does it look like Shazam, the camel that came at night in Bethlehem that I got to know really well, all right? He, he was a little grumpy sometimes in there, right? Does it give us the detail, the full experience? No, but it gives us a glimpse of what it's like. And sometimes the shadow can appear different than it actually is. Like, look at this picture. How many of y'all used to do shadow puppets? Anybody? Go home today. That's your homework, right? Go home and try it out. See if you're any better, right? There's actually tutorials now. You could try, right? But if you were just to see the shadow, you might think, wow, there's a deer. Well, maybe not. Maybe that's that that good. But um, you might think, oh, there's something behind that. What's going on there? So, what the shadow's meant to do is to bring attention to the source, and that's what we have to understand about this. Because we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be a shadow, and, and we have a connotation in the back of our mind that the shadow is bad, maybe because it's like dark or something like that. But in this case, what he's saying is like what we see here is a copy. It's like it's like a kind of like the original, but without all the beauty and the detail. And the glory, okay? It's almost like Dr. B instead of Dr. Pepper, right? It's got some of the tastes, but not quite the same, okay? So um, how are we going to do that? How are we going to work that into what we're talking about today? Well, think about the priesthood. Could the priesthood, sacrificing lambs and bulls, could that really forgive sin? Or was that a shadow that if we trace the shadow, we find the source, which was Christ, When we have this picture in the Old Testament, the bronze serpent, sin up on a stick, what was that pointing to? What Jesus was going to do for us on the cross. See, these things in the Old Testament were shadows, copies, glimpses, and when we actually follow them, we find the true beauty, which was going to be Christ. So are we willing to point people towards the true beauty, which is going to be Christ? Look what it says in verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. So here's the, here's the shift. Here's where the two songs overlap. So we have this great high priest who, because he's the great high priest, can now usher in this new covenant, this new way of finding redemption and connection With God. And so we're we're kind of getting that overlap right here in these verses. So again, what it says, Christ has obtained a ministry that's much more excellent. His way is better than the old way. What was the old way? Well, Moses went up on the mountain, and he got the law, and he brought down the law to them. Was the law able to save them? No. But it was a shadow. It kind of showed them something about God's character. And it should have made them run to say, I'm not perfect. I can't do it on my own. I can't fulfill. There's only a list of 10 of them. I can't even fulfill those 10. I need a Savior, and it should point us towards Jesus. Instead, we tend to double down. And, oh, well, if I just work harder and I do more and I live more, then I could save myself. That's not where it is. We need to set our hope on something different. So the law was a shadow pointing us towards Christ. Did you realize that your good works, the things that you do before God, they're just a shadow of your heart. What's in your heart? Is it out of the overflow of your heart that these things happen? Or are you trying to earn something by it? So even our good works are just a shadow of the goodness that we have in Christ. So he says that he's going to give us a new covenant. Now that word covenant is kind of a biblical word, right? A churchy word. What does that word covenant mean? Do you remember we had these ideas of promises? An oath, right? So it gives us a promise, but then he also gives us an oath. If you mix those together, that's the basic idea of what a covenant is. The best picture of a covenant is a marriage. So yesterday, I got a chance to do a, a wedding here. Jordan and Sierra got married yesterday, right here, which, whoop, whoop, was super exciting. All right. Yeah, yeah. And so in there, they did not pinky swear something. Right In the middle of the wedding ceremony, she was beautiful in her dress and came down, and Jordan I, I, you have actually have emotions. That's awesome. Yes, I, I have them too. It's really crazy. They're deep down there. Um, but, um, when Sarah came up front and Jordan were standing together, one of the things that they did, the, the pinnacle point of the marriage ceremony is they exchanged vows. So they looked at one another and said, "I promise in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer." Till death do us part, right? They make a commitment to one another. They tie the knot, right? When you tie the knot, what's that sig- signaling? We're together forever. This is something that should not be easily broken. We're making a commitment more than a promise. Hey, I promise to be nice to you. We're actually making a covenant together that should not be broken. That's, that's the plan. That's the idea behind what Jesus is doing. He's saying, and there's, he's bringing a new Covenant. And what he's going to say next is that they should have known this. All right, look what it says in verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would not have been an occasion to look for a second. In other words, if the law could save you, there'd be no need for Christ to die on the cross. We just need to do better. But because we can't do it on our own, we need the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. For then he says this in verse 8, for he finds fault with them when he says, and remember, when we were walking through this proof together, we've had one thing that we could consider fact. There's one thing that the Hebrew people would accept as like the truth, and that's the Old Testament prophets. Remember, we have to use the words of the prophets to prove that Jesus is the one true son. So here the author is going to go back into Jeremiah 31. He's going to say, look, I told you about this, in Jeremiah to look for this new covenant. We, we told you about this before. So let's, let's dive into it and look at it. This will be the third time you've heard it. So hopefully it's going to sink in deep. All right. So it says this, Behold, the, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. So he's establishing something new. So even Jeremiah, way back before Christ came, was pointing them towards something new is coming. The law was not going to be enough. Look for something new, a new covenant, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. Because they had broken his covenant because they had seen all these glorious things. Because Here we go. We're talking about the Israelites once again, right? Because they had seen God in all these incredible ways and they'd seen his power at work. And yet when they went to the promised land, they listened to the spies, 10 of the spies over the power of God walking through the Red Sea and they left. And what happened? God's wrath was poured out on them, wandering for 40 years in the desert till that generation passed away and a new generation took the torch to go into the promised land. Because they did that, because they forsook the covenant God made with them, they had to, the, law, the, the punishment had to be poured out to them. For, this new cov- for the covenant that I will make with the, the house of Israel, after those days, declares the Lord, so he's going to give them this new covenant in these next verses. I will put, their law, put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be... My people. So the real covenant is not some outward expression of the law. The real covenant is what's happening in your heart? What's happening in your mind? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Do you set your mind on things above? This is the idea that we see here is that this new covenant is going to be written in our hearts. How is your heart? How is our heart? Is it for the Lord? And when you look at this idea of he's going to write this, these, his laws on our mind and our heart, it reminds you back to all these incredible verses in the Old Testament how God's going to write it on our heart, and we're supposed to push that down to our children. We're supposed to share that with the people that are around us. But what God says in the next verse is that he's going to take care of that. God is going to be the one to now send out the call to all of mankind to say, come to me, follow me. Now, can I chase a rabbit for a second? Many of us cast a big shadow. And I'm not just talking about because I'm 6'1 and 270 pounds, right? I'm saying like sometimes you cast a shadow that people live in. Like, for example, sometimes our kids are known more by who their parents are than who they are. Right? Sometimes you cast a shadow and people think of that ministry because you came out of another ministry or things parents, we we sometimes cast that big shadow. Can I encourage you if you're the, the shadow caster to encourage the people that are in your shadow? Parents, encourage your kids. Lift them up, build them up, right? Say the things that are in your mind that are positive, because we normally say the things that are negative, right? Say the things that are positive. When you think about your kids and how awesome they are, how, how great they did something, or how thankful you are for them, can you tell them? Because it makes it easier to hear the other stuff, when we're constantly lifting them up, right? When you have somebody that's in your shadow, notice, lift them up, encourage them, spur them on. If you're the person in the shadow, enjoy the shade, for a little while. You're going to have time to get out on your own. Enjoy it. Take the best things of what that person that you, you see, take the best things of theirs and make them your own and walk in that power. Don't be afraid of being in the shadow. Enjoy it for a time. How many of us enjoy the shade in the summer in Texas, right? You don't believe me. Enjoy the shade of your house with the AC on in the summer, right? Enjoy it as well, right? But it's saying God's going to be the one to put it in their hearts, but we still have that responsibility to be that example for them. Look what He says in verse eleven: For they shall not teach each one his neighbor or each one his brother, saying, "Know the Lord," for they shall all know Me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Woo, isn't that good news? He's not going to remember your sin anymore. That means you don't have to remember it either. You can forgive yourself and walk in that freedom that God's given you. You can break every chain. You can walk in that freedom, right? Then it says this. Um, well, actually, let's go to Romans 1 real quick. Can you all turn back with me? I think we have time to do that. Um, when it talks about God speaking that word in their heart, it made me think of this, tr- this passage out of Romans chapter 1, verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. That We can now know God. And how? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. That when we look outside at the stars and we look at the human body and how it actually heals itself when you cut yourself, the incredible things that God has put into motion in creation, it should scream out to us, God. And that if we don't choose to follow him, we are without excuse. So we don't have, everybody in this room has no excuse. If we come before God someday and we haven't given our life to Christ, you can't blame it on, uh, well, this happened to me, or, or this person didn't say the words exactly right, or, or my parents were this way, or, or this, we don't have an excuse anymore. God has made it plain to us. Here's the choice. Either follow me or follow the things of this world. Set your mind on things above. Or set your mind on the cares of this world, and guess what? The cares of the world are going to choke out all the growth and all the fruit in our life is going to be choked out because of the cares of this world. Or we could be the good field and produce a good fruit to be useful for the kingdom of God and to have the joy of the Lord in our lives. The choice is ours, or without excuse. Look what it says next. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, and animals, and creeping things. So we have this image the immortal God, Jesus Christ, the King of of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of Peace. We have this picture of him, or we could chase after an idol. Reminds me of the story in Isaiah 44, the man who had a log. He cut part of it in half, and he made a fire and, and made dinner. The other one he carved into a figure, and he fell down and he worshiped it. It used to be a log. Now it's his God. That's what idolatry is. Our money is a piece of paper. Food, our kids, what do we chase after that's a trade for the immortal God? We need to face the truth in that we chase idols all the time. Yeah, in our culture, we may not have them all have statues everywhere, but we have an idolatry problem. So are we ready to chase after the one true God, or are we going to settle for something that's less? That's kind of the challenge there. Instead of worshiping, the, worshiping, worshiping the creator, We worship the creation. Let's choose today whom we're going to serve. And let's worship him, right? And here's the good news. The final verse here is, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. That all the works and all the things that we thought were earning our way to heaven, those are gone. And there's one way, this covenant of grace, by putting our faith in him and trusting in him. So are we going to believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord? That's, that's the real choice that we have in this. And, and next week we start talking about the, the tabernacle. And after that we talk about Christ's sacrifice. And then we see these incredible men and women of God following God in faith to be that perfect pattern for us to follow. That's where we head next week. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have given us a glimpse of heaven in these shadows, and these copies of heavenly things. Lord, I thank you for the tabernacle. I thank you for the life of these prophets and, and these examples, Lord. But most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that we can put our trust in him and that you will keep our minds and our hearts full of your word. You'll give us discernment between good and evil. Oh, Lord, give us your spirit. Show us your glory. So Lord, I pray that as we go through this week, we'll be able to spend time just with you this week, worshiping you, reading in your word, like spending time getting to know you in a greater way because you are our hope. You're our joyful confidence. So, Lord, we put our hope in you, in your name. Amen. Amen.
2: Hey, what a joy it is to know his joy, right? It's so good to know him. It's so good to be known by him hey church before we depart today i have a few announcements for you that we just want you to know about a few opportunities that we have coming up uh, men if you're a man we have an opportunity for you coming up march 25th uh, this coming saturday from 6 to eight thirty here at the church we're gonna have a crawfish boil we encourage you to join us. It's going to be great. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you're one of those guys that's like, I don't need people, well, let me tell you, you need people. God calls you to community. So we hope, we hope you come. We hope you come and learn about perseverance, how we can persevere through this year. And so that's this coming Saturday, March 25th at six o'clock. We hope that you come. It's going to be great. Next Sunday, so the day after the crawfish boil, um, during our third service. We're going to be having our Discover class. And so if you're interested in learning more about this church, if you're interested in learning how to get more plugged in, how to join, become a member, or just how to get plugged into our community, we encourage you at 1130 during our third service, join us for that class. Uh, You'll get to meet some of the pastors and the staff Uh, We'll have lunch served as well, and we also have kids ministry available during that time. So that'll go from 11.30 to 1.30 p.m. We encourage you to join us if you're interested in that as well. And as always, just remember that our our mission team from Honduras is coming home. So just be praying for continued safe travels for them. Uh, Pray that God would continue to use the work that they've been doing. So we're we're excited to see them. We're excited to hear from them and see what God's done. Uh, As we close... I want to read to you from the book, sorry, that was a little loud, from the book of Isaiah uh, chapter 54, verse 10. It says this, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Church, as you leave today, I pray that you go with that compassion and with that love. Thank you for being with us today.